This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Time once again for T. Watson, TR on the Bama Online Podcast. It is a Thursday, July the 20th. 2023 Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com alongside site publisher Tim Watson. Tim, we're coming off a busy few days of Alabama football talk at the SEC Media Days in Nashville, Tennessee. We've got some recruiting to get into. Been a little bit quiet on that front, but certainly a big pickup just days ago in four-star tight end prospect. Caleb Odom and some other things maybe on the not-too-distant horizon for Nick Saban on the recruiting trail. But uh, first and foremost, how you doing this morning? Good. You know, I was laughing. I was sitting here thinking, me and what you people don't that are listening don't realize is me and Travis have a podcast before the podcast. <laughs> We're like the two old guys on the porch. Our wives are all supposed to do something. Me and Travis sit on the porch talking for an hour. So half our best stuff is in the uh, <laughs> the POL unplugged, but yeah, doing good. Um, excited about this week. You know, I like the I like the fan base is similar to the how Alabama recruits or how the Alabama season goes. When there's football to talk about, there wasn't nearly as much questions about recruiting, and Alabama had been extremely hot. I think it's six commitments in July. Uh, some other guys coming down the pipe and. And uh, with, you know, with decisions coming. So it was good to see a lot of football talk this week. Obviously, the Bama guys did well. Nick Saban always owns the room. So absolutely, it's been a good week. Yeah, regardless of who might be the reigning national champion, it it comes back to Alabama Day, wherever the SEC media days uh, take place, whether that's in Hoover, whether that's in Nashville this time, and uh, I guess Dallas coming up. And we've talked about this before. This event in general, Tim, it's basically following in the footsteps, it feels like, of what we've seen, what we've seen with the NFL draft, right? How they've moved the draft around. Um, now you're seeing SEC media days take a similar approach. There was some hopes that it would be more, even more fan-friendly this time with music and events. And I think weather interrupted some of that, unfortunately, but uh a spectacle this event has become and it's it's taking to the road so many years right there in hoover but uh, moving around now yeah i like it too i know a lot of the guys were excited talking to the team guys and the and the on three company they were excited i did realize half these people i've worked with for 20 plus years don't know what i do for a living because while i was in nashville i had a million people asking me if i was coming to sec media days I was like, man, y'all know I like cover recruiting for BOL, right? I got team guys and Charlie Potter went up there and met with some people. But yeah, it sounds like it was a great event. Plus, it's a good town. You get to go to Broadway. You get to do all those little things. It's kind of like a mini getaway. And I'm sure the coaches enjoy it. I know the, the, the on three guys I've talked to had a great time and got a chance to run into the office and see Shannon Terrier. They came out and met on the obviously our CEO and Andy Johnson, Brandon O'Neill, people in the office. So overall, it sounds like it was a great event. Yeah, it sounds. I mean, really, Nashville is becoming more and more the epicenter 
of the Southeastern Conference. I know Atlanta, because of the SEC football championship game, and, well, the SEC offices are in Birmingham, but you think about the success of the SEC basketball tournament, the men's tournament there in Nashville, uh, how we're based there uh, and have been through our different iterations that BamaOnline.com has uh, worked with during our extensive history uh, in the in the sports media outlet world. Uh, boy, more and more, it, it, it's about Nashville. Nashville's hot anyway, man, as a city. Maybe too hot. Yeah, it is. It is. It's changed a lot in the 20-whatever years. we I've been working with, with Shannon Terry, and well, you and I have been working with Shannon, and it's changed a lot. It's a lot busier. But it's still a place. We went to see the Saints-Titans game uh, several years ago. And, you know, you go to a hotel. You don't have to drive your car. You get to walk over the river, go to the game. All that stuff is uh, – is uh is good but it was good to see that you know Nick Saban you know saying such great things about Tommy Reese and some very interesting comments I thought and of course the Alabama players I thought they all represented themselves really well they did that contingent consisting of Kool-Aid McKinstry Dallas Turner uh, JC Latham making the trip up there with Nick Saban uh I thought JC was interesting man uh and Dallas in talking about uh, the standard and, and getting back to that with the different coordinators now and Kevin Steele, uh, kind of that old hand, that steadying hand. That's the sense you got in some of the comments about Kevin Steele, just a steadying effect on this Alabama defense. And uh, we talk so much about getting back to basics and, and you don't want to use the word simplify because I don't think Alabama is going to scale it back to rudimentary football. Uh, but there is something to be said about, and Saban touched on this with both coordinators, the ability to present the information in a way in which guys can take it and do what they need to do, but also maximize their ability. You recruit all these four and five stars. Don't you want to have them in, in situations where they can kind of cut loose and play? Yeah, I think you do. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm, a lot of what he says, especially Nick Saban, kind of hit home with me, the whole Bryce Young point guard that we've heard before and talking about the guys relying on him. Because, you know, as basketball guys, something me, you and I watch a lot, you see that when you've got a really good point guard. And I would think that, you know, with that quarterback position, comparing it to the point guard, he's, he's kind of like an Allen Iverson, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he do a little bit of everything. You know, he was definitely in the MVP discussion. So you had a lot of guys sitting around watching to see what he would do. Um, I love what Latham said, you know, getting back to basics. And that goes with what we've said for a while. Wolf has a type. He's an intense guy. He wants to put hands on you. You know, he wants his jersey dirty, every jersey dirty early in the game. So that's not very surprising. And also these guys, these three especially, came to Alabama because of of the history. You know what I mean? Because of the, the reputation Alabama has. So, of course, it kind of stands out to them. And then um, – you have them coming in. They want to carry on that torch. And I have. it has not been lost on me, the difference of the guys on defense going from dealing with Pete Golden to Kevin Steele. Couldn't probably be more polar opposites um, personality-wise. And, you know, you know, again, that there's an age difference. There's experience difference. There's so much happening there. But all the feedback we've got with, with Kevin Steele, which doesn't surprise me at all, has been really good as far as people reacting to him. He's easy to talk to. He's not, he's not beyond being strict. He's not going to, you know, he's kind of past, you know, the thing with Pete, I always felt like Pete was young enough to feel like he was one of the guys, you know what I mean? 
And he, you know, he, he was like a big brother instead was, of maybe your uncle, right? He was. He had that, you know, that young curly hair, bebop kind of style when he came in, you know, pretty, you know, definitely young for his age. So that was kind of a thin line between being friends. You know, this as a parent, there's a thin line between being a friend and a parent. Yeah. Um, but I think Kevin Steele comes in. There's no doubt that he's not going to the club with you or, or any of that stuff. He's definitely that, like you said, you know, he's the father figure. You know, that's uh, the grandfather figure, either the the uncle, older uncle, that kind of guy. So definitely some contrast there. But uh, I love media days. I don't pay attention to it too closely, but this year I, I found myself gravitating to it. Love what it signifies, as we've talked about many times before in doing this together. Love that it means the college football season is right around the corner. Um, and I think when you look at this Alabama trio that made the trip, the players, I mean, we got some legacies on the line. Not that individually they're not going to leave an indelible mark on the program, but they talked about the standard. And what is the standard? The standard is national championships. And these three guys as true juniors going into the upcoming season. They've yet to experience that. So they know right exactly what's on the line especially is potential three and out guys don't they yeah for sure i mean you've seen a lot of those guys all these all three of them you know were highly recruited dallas kool-aid and, and latham highly recruited guys i feel like all were five stars i can't remember dallas exactly but certainly has some five star uh some uh five star ranking somewhere i'm sure so those three guys were highly recruited Came in on the heels of, you know, a lot of success. And, you know, I think by most people's standards, Alabama has been successful the last two years, right? I think most would say those were successful seasons, but by Alabama standard, obviously not what they expect. But I do think exciting the changes that the coordinators were a, were a, were a big motivator. You know, sometimes you just need a different voice in your ear to motivate you. Tommy Reese is a young guy. And if you look at what Saban did, it's interesting you had an older veteran coach uh, in O'Brien, and now you've got a really young, you know, kind of, you know, more energetic guy coaching offensive coordinator. And on the flip side, you kind of went from a younger, energetic guy coaching on the defensive side to an older veteran coach. So you see them completely flip. So I definitely think you'll see motivation, learning more. And uh, I do believe these guys when they say they're, they're, they're hungry and motivated. Yeah, that's been the talk. I, I think at this point, it will be a major letdown if the identity of this football team isn't one of physicality, because it's the word that we've heard so much going back to uh, March and the start of spring practice and through spring practice. And then we hear J.C. Latham at Media Days go out there and predict that Alabama will have the the best offensive line essentially in all of college football. Is that where you're at with this? That if this, regardless of record, and and I think we're all thinking that if it does play out this way, the record will reflect that in a positive way. Are you at a point where if this team can't physically impose its will on opponents, uh, it, it'll, it'll come as maybe a surprise. I mean, is that, is that the expectation for you at this point? It would be disappointing for sure. I mean, that's what you're kind of looking for this team after what you've seen the last couple of years. I, I would be surprised because, like you said, that has been the that has been the theme uh, heading up to this point. But um, I, I'm not. I'm expecting them to be, you know, and a lot of that's just hands-on effort. We know they're physically big. 
We know they're strong. We know they're talented guys, you know, on the offensive line especially. So I think that mindset, and we've seen it. I've seen it over the course of watching football. You can see one coach make a huge difference. But also, this is that second year where Wolf's kind of – they're more his guys now than they were before. You know what I mean? Last time he comes in, they were already kind of set in their ways. So I do expect them to be more physical for sure. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at as we get you ready for fall camp 2023 at the University of Alabama. I got some news here in the last few days. You're going to have a fan day on that first Saturday of fall camp and uh, the ability to go back and uh, watch a practice. Uh, you can probably thank the Yay Alabama Collective for that as much as anything because uh, that seems to be a big part of that event uh, coming up in early August, but it's going to take place Nonetheless, it's also prediction season where the SEC is concerned, Tim. wanted to get your thoughts on that uh, with the SEC East and the SEC West. I think, obviously, when you look at the East, it's it's all about Georgia. I mean, Georgia's going to have to make the trip to Knoxville in November. But, man, the lead-up to that, you know, there's not going to be – it doesn't appear anyway as that typical grind for teams in the SEC for Georgia. Georgia lost Oklahoma – as an early season opponent due to the uh, pending arrival of the Sooners into the SEC. Uh, So when you really look at it, I think it's obviously Georgia at the top. I think where it gets interesting is maybe more so three, four, five in the league, because I think everyone's going to go with Tennessee in that second spot. So when you look at the East um, and you understand just year two for Billy Napier at Florida, but still, man, uh, after the way that season kind of finished for the Gators uh, in his debut last season, uh, probably a big season for Billy Napier coming up too. Yeah, I agree. You know, with Tennessee, I, you know, I think it might be a little bit tougher. Georgia's definitely got an easy schedule. I don't understand how Oklahoma came off because they're coming into SEC, but Texas didn't come off out <laughs> And they was Texas still coming into? SEC? Well, I, I think it was the it was the back end of a two game series with Alabama. Um, and Texas, and I, I think Oklahoma, Georgia was still going to have another year on it. You know, you know what I'm saying? It was a, a home and home, and so they weren't going to be able to fulfill the two games I mean, because of like, Oklahoma coming in next year. Georgia would have been a heavy favorite in that game too. Yeah. To realize, I mean, Venables is still trying to get that shit right. I just would like to see it. You know, I'm a sure football guy. Georgia can't really control their schedule. Um, definitely a walkthrough. But, you know, Tennessee, looking at theirs, it's a little bit tougher than you might think. I mean, they're going to, you know, obviously at Florida, South Carolina at home. That's a pretty energetic guy. Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia. I mean, there's a couple, you know, a couple you would think they'd catch a, you know, a loss or two in there for sure. Um, but, yeah, Georgia's going to walk. Billy is under a uh, – I mean, this is a big year for him. You know, he, you, know you get a couple of years of a bye. And I will say, I think it helps them. They pulled the trigger so quick in the past with, like, especially Dan Mullen. I mean, not saying they shouldn't have. They certainly should have as far as, you know, a recruiting guy's considered. But um, so he's going to get an extra little benefit. But, you know, he walks into the schedule, man, and it is <laughs> it is tough. But, I mean, it's going to get way, you know, to me, it's going to get worse in 24. But you're looking at Utah, which will not be an easy game. No, that's, that's tough. You know, yeah. host in Tennessee is not going to be a whole lot of fun. You're at Kentucky. We know how that 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 is for Florida down there. Then you're at South Carolina again. You know, you know Shane Beamer's got him. You know, he's literally running through the wall for him. And then you've got Georgia, Arkansas, LSU, and Florida State to end the year. So 
this is going to be a really tough year. He just lost a first round draft pick and, and, um, kind of had limited success with him. I mean, I think most people like Billy and hope he does well, but man, he, this is quite the chore that he took on being the, the Florida head coach. Yeah. I think we're going to find out exactly how much the decision makers in Gainesville really are leaning into the program builder, uh, narrative that they sold with the hiring of Billy Napier. That's the way that was presented from the outset. And look, I know when you look at the 2024 recruiting rankings right now, Napier's got a nice class. He's he, the, the problem is, and you said it, I think, about Anthony Richardson uh, moving on to the NFL, and, and he was very erratic at times, inconsistent, inconsistent at times. Um, you, you still don't have the quarterback on campus. You might have the quarterback coming uh, with this next class, but uh, depending on how this season goes, um, you know, getting to that class could be a challenge for Billy Napier as far as year three. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you look at, you look at, again, the schedules against him. You got Georgia, who's a monster you're dealing with to begin with. He had a really tough deal with the NIL situation last year. They had the California, you know, quarterback committed. There was rumors they didn't pay him his NIL money um, before he signed. When I'm not pretty sure. I don't know. I don't know the rules, but that sounds illegal. But they couldn't get him. <laughs> they couldn't work out the deal. I know the kid was in California, so maybe there's new rules is what I was referring to. Or not new, but different rules. But so that deal didn't get worked out. He ends up decommitting. He probably would have been the guy this year, at least in theory. You want to sling out there, get experience, and and start building your team around. And of course, he's gone. So yeah, I mean, it's not going to be you know, it's not going to be easy. But I think that Florida, at some point, and boy, that's an angry fan base. I tell you this, man, they ornery. They, yeah, they're ornery. It doesn't matter. I mean, I watch Twitter. They are, you know, they are West Side when it comes to this. They, <laughs> I love it. I mean, you see one guy drops from 141 to 142, and oh, hell, you know. Buckle up, Charlie. Power. (laughs) Duck, Chuck, they are Yeah, put your helmet on, Chuck. Yeah, Chuck. Mouthpiece, strap up. Yeah. They are. You're right. I mean, they're cranky at best right now. I don't necessarily blame. I mean, I, I I don't. I don't think they should get mad about everything, obviously. But I understand the anger. I mean, they come from a. You know, Steve Spurrier, perhaps one of the most fun offenses I've ever seen in my life. Just a, a unique coach. His quotes and everything were great. Have a lull. You go to Urban Meyer, who puts together a mini dynasty. You know, unbelievable players getting drafted, all that. And then after that, you leave. There's a lot of, you know, scandal and issues coming from those players that played for Urban. And after that, it's kind of been downhill. So I get what they are. They're a very proud, proud university. Um and they expect more. They should. I mean, they were justified cool. expectations, right? I mean, come that. on. So I've been on that campus. I mean, that's a that's a that's an awesome place to be. They recruit talent rich Florida, and also they're a national brand who should be able to go out of there. So I get why they're mad, but you know, sometimes as Charles Power might say, they might overreact. I think every program you you can talk about really you link quarterback play. To expectations are the pulse of a fan base. And that's the problem right now at Florida, man. There is no juice at the quarterback position. And when you look at some of these teams beyond Georgia in the East, Joe Milton at Tennessee, uh, Devin Leary coming into Kentucky from NC State, Spencer Rattler back for South Carolina, even Brady Cook at Missouri. 
uh, when you start considering Florida and that pecking order there in the middle of the East, uh, you, you don't like its position at the quarterback spot right now. And so uh, that'll be interesting to watch play out too. You kind of wonder how they weren't more involved with like a transfer quarterback or somebody that may, maybe they just didn't find a guy they liked, but somebody to come in and, and, and try to push the young guys you've got on campus or, you know, just try to liven up that room. I know they've got numbers on campus. I just don't think they're necessarily the guys they're used to. Again, they're coming off Anthony Richardson, who's a, what do you go top 15 in the draft, whatever he went high five, whatever it was. So you're coming off that. So it is a different, I mean, it's, when you look at like the Florida depth chart, you don't see the names you're used to seeing through, you know, the course of our lifetime. We usually know players' names. You don't, you're not used to seeing these guys like, like, like we were used to seeing. Yeah, Graham Mertz, the latest transfer to make his way to Florida, and it's a guy going back to his high school days, pretty highly rated recruit, but uh, again, just. Not a lot of uh, momentum for the Gators behind center. And that's a proud that's a proud program when you talk just about that position and not just Tim Tebow and going back to Steve Spurrier's playing days or Danny Werfel. But, but I mean, even guys like Rex Grossman, um, you know, were, were guys that played at a high level behind center. Uh, Chris Leak, um, you know, that that's the type of expectation at quarterback play, and I, I don't think the Gators have that right now. And Mertz is kind of locked in as their uh, starter, right? I, I think at this point, yeah, I, that that would be my guess based on what uh, even, transpired even, in the spring. Even with the ideal situation, there would still be a tough road with this schedule. So, um, you know, even with Tim Tebow, I wouldn't be predicting them to win the East. So that's kind of telling you where their schedule's at right now. It is a tough schedule, as you outlined. Talking about it's got a little bit tougher schedule, and I know it's a sexy pick because they beat Alabama last year. LSU doesn't have an easy road. I'm not sure where everyone got. I mean, this is a tough schedule. I mean, they're you know they're going to start out with at Florida State, who is a you know again not a pushover, um, and they've got weird those weird road games that always worry most teams. At Mississippi State, mm-hmm. LSU there you know lose their cup you know before at Ole Miss at Missouri three weird games, and then at home. They are going to, you know, they're going to be facing Auburn, Arkansas, and Auburn's going to be a mess. You really got to scheme for Auburn now. I know the talent's probably not where it's going to be down the road, but you got to scheme for them. And then they've got Alabama, Florida, and Texas A&M. So it's not a cakewalk for LSU by any means, uh, which is the same for Alabama. There's there's some tough schedules out there. There is. There is. Um, you know, and I think LSU's kind of like Florida and in Alabama in this regard, in that in the first couple of weeks of the season, you're going to get a better feel. Now, I think you said it, LSU beat Alabama last year, returns Jaden Daniels at quarterback, had a great year in his first season as a starter for the Tigers. So um, what we're going to see is, uh, is the pick of LSU by the media as the preseason favorite in the West. But my question um, from that standpoint is, is okay, so – you're essentially going to go ahead and tell me that LSU is going to beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa in November. That's where I kind of get off the LSU thing uh, in the West. And I go more back to Alabama as my pick in the SEC West. But again, I think you're going to get a real feel for this with that LSU opener in Orlando against Florida State. Florida State beat LSU in the Superdome to open last season. So this is a rematch of that. And then Alabama, Texas in week two in Tuscaloosa. 
Yeah, I will say I love the fact there's a lot of big games early. Um, I like it. I like seeing Alabama, Texas play early, you know, especially, you know, if you're just an average fan looking, don't have a dog in the fight, seeing FSU and, and LSU. And I know some of the, you know, <laughs> had a buddy say Texas, Alabama is not nearly exciting because now Texas is coming to the SEC. I totally disagree. I think anytime you've got a matchup of a, you know, involving the old head, so to speak, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, uh, Texas, USC, Notre Dame, any of those guys, when you when you talk, when they're playing each other, it's a big deal to me. It's something worth watching. It doesn't matter if one's considerably better than the other one. It's worth watching just for the tradition. Heck, the pregame shows on these things are fantastic because they go all the history of Texas, all the history of Alabama before the game. Those are amazing. So, yeah, it's good to see that. FSU, LSU, I'm excited about that one as well. FSU was, you know, was an interesting team last year, and I really only caught wind of them uh, as far as watching them towards the end of the year. But they've got some exciting things going on down there, and and maybe another proud Florida, you know, university in Florida is trying to turn that corner. Yeah, even Texas A&M, who I would have in my preseason predictions in the West, is third in the division. Now they go to Miami in week two on September 9th, the same day that Alabama hosts uh, Texas and Tuscaloosa. So 2.30 Central on September 9th, you'll have Texas A&M at Miami. And then for your nightcap, you'll have Texas at Alabama. I'm, I'm with you. I, I can get into that, you know. And so as we move through the SEC West, I kind of go Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State in that next tier of teams beyond Alabama, LSU, Texas, A&M. Uh, you know, Lane's going to have an offense ready. Uh, Pete Golding now in Oxford as a defensive coordinator is going to be very intriguing. Uh, quarterback situations are good, really, throughout the SEC West. Jackson Dart back at Ole Miss. K.J. Jefferson back at Arkansas. Um, Will Rogers back at Mississippi State. I think Mississippi State is going to be interesting, though, Tim, because they're going from the late Mike Leach with that air raid offense. Zach Arnett elevates from the defensive coordinator position into the role of full-time head coach. He's a defensive guy, experienced quarterback in Will Rogers, but how much will that offense change in terms of its uh, philosophical approach with Arnett in there? And so uh, some unknowns with that. And then you talked about Auburn earlier. Uh, Auburn, too, with questions at quarterback. And even Jarquez Hunter, the running back, I know uh, Hugh Freeze wasn't able really to comment on even his status uh, as the Tigers look forward to fall camp yeah well, i mean when you look at some of these guys there's gonna be teams you know lane kiffin's playing lane calls every play like he's playing with house money and i guess he is with that extension so hey that doesn't have a lot to worry about i think hugh freeze is going to have that same freedom to call it as he sees just to build excitement you know i don't think every game you can win a game if you're in a situation like a billy napier when in a Hugh Freeze, you can win a game without winning the game. If you can build excitement, if you can compete with Georgia, if you're Billy, if, uh, you know, if, uh, if Hugh Freeze can compete with some of these SEC West schools, that's going to be a win. That's a selling point. So I'm excited just to see him throw caution to the wind and throw it out there. And of course, you know, rest in peace, Mike Leach. Nobody can do what he did. I mean, you're talking about a guy that literally called plays with house money. That was him. Um, it's going to be odd, you know, and I know, I mean, it's, you know, not to make it about me, but I know it's going to be very weird, you know, when the season starts and more people realize he's not here in the tributes and all. So just a just a terribly weird situation. 
Yeah, and I think this week in Nashville underscores even perhaps more so uh, what we miss in Michael Leach because you knew it was always going to be fun yeah, uh, when he headed to SEC Media Days. Yeah, everybody. I mean, again, everything, you know, I love Leach, especially at Washington State. And because um, he was that late night Friday or Saturday night game, he was always on when I needed to watch TV. Everybody in the house has gone to bed. Even if I was working or doing something, I'd flip that on on the side TV and watch him. And he never failed to do something in a game. His face, <laughs> his facial expressions alone. You can watch a halftime. This is true. I did it. You can watch a halftime interview with Mike Leach with a with mute volume off. And he still makes you laugh the way he looks. And he, he just knew what the guy was going to say. So very original and, uh, you know, extremely tough loss for all college football last year. Yeah, he had that play card over there when he would be calling plays on offense. It looked like it was the size of maybe an index card for that offense. But absolutely uh, very, very tragic, the, 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 the passing of Mike Lee. So overall champion in the SEC. I got Alabama winning the SEC. Now, look. If it is an SEC West team that ultimately gets it done in Atlanta, I could also see it being a two-loss SEC West team that gets it done because, as we talked about, the schedule. And I know I've caught some heat on the roundtable. I kind of outlined some scenarios in my latest What Saban Said and What We Think It Means that I'm anticipating a tough game with Texas. I'm not picking Texas to win that game. I'm just saying at that point on the schedule, I could see Texas even being a tougher matchup for Alabama than even LSU in November. What about you, Tim, when it comes to the overall? Sarkeesian's had how many months to plan the play calling for that game? I mean, so um, I don't think there's any doubt that, I mean, again, you know, it's sort of like, you know how we used to say, like when Saban would get to those bowl games, and at the end of the season, the playoffs, he's had 30-something days to scout for that game. And that usually goes very favorable for Alabama when that happens. Well, I think Sarkeesian's going to give, you know, as an offensive guy, he's going to have that same game plan. Now, I do think Texas has a distinct disadvantage. Alabama can prepare for Texas, right? We know what's coming. We especially know what's coming on offense. You know who's there. You know the personnel. Texas, how do you, how do you start planning to – defensively to scheme against Alabama. I don't think you can do anything. You don't know if it's, you know, Jalen, if it's uh, Ty Simpson, or if it's Tyler. I mean, those could be complete different game plans for that. So I do think also Alabama has a lot of newcomers that 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 part can work in the favor, the uncertainty of knowing what to plan for. So pretty much a – pretty much a uh, I, I agree with you. I think it'll be a good game. I think Alabama wins. I think Tuscaloosa will be rocking. I think it will absolutely be, you you know, absolutely register on the Richter scale. I know they'll be into the game. The fans will be going crazy. Texas is probably going to travel well. So, yeah, I think um, Sark will give them their best effort. But I think yeah. Brian Denny's going to be a huge advantage. Oh, I, I think so. It, it should be for sure. And well, I think it, it I think it's going to need to be. I, I know there's an early line out there. I guess Alabama 21 and a half point favorite. I think I saw in that game. I mean, that, that there's no way I'd lay 21 and a half right now. You know, I mean, no, absolutely not. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's that's a lot for any SEC game. Yeah, I need to check that. But <laughs> if Vanderbilt's not playing, that's a lot of points. So. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I'm, I would expect, you know, a 10-point type game. Um, 
certainly got, got home run power. You know, they got Xavier Worthy. They got Ewers. They got, you know, they got some – had a good recruiting class. They got the running back, forget his name. I think he's from Florida. He was a – I think he might have been the number one running back in the country last year. They've got some guys. So, I mean, it's We're just – Dante Cook at wide receiver coming in. Yeah. yeah, they've got they got the uh, yeah they Xavier got, Worthy. They got the transfer from Georgia and Mitchell. Yeah, they've got guys. I mean, this tight end. Both yeah. offensive tackles are back. Yeah, they got dudes. They got, and that's what Alabama at least can start planning for because they know exactly what's coming in. But Texas is a talented team. I mean, it's not going to surprise me if they if they're a nine or ten win team at all. Yeah, I'm seeing varying lines. It, it, there's not, I don't think, an official line. But I'm seeing Alabama. This looks like it would be more in line with what I would think right now. Eight, eight and a half. Yeah, that's yeah. Point that's, favorite. That's, that's, that's a line I could see. Yeah, uh, eight, twenty-one eight, and a half seemed crazy. I was thinking but, it would be six and a half, seven, and I'd predict. I would. I mean, at this point, I'm predicting Alabama to win by ten. But I do think it's going to be a game one late. Yeah. I don't. This is going to be a game where somebody runs off with it. No, no doubt about it. Hey, uh, Tim, let's get into some recruiting talk, man. Uh, because Alabama, as we presented here on the podcast over the weekend, last weekend, big pickup in Caleb Odom, the four-star tight end target from Carrollton, Georgia, latest to commit for Alabama's 2024 recruiting class. Uh, kind of reset things for us now as we look ahead. I know there's some announcements on the horizon, both uh, for the 2024 and I think 2025 classes. Yeah, I mean, you look at what they've done, six commitments. And um, in June, of course, there's 2026 20, uh, center. The Helton kid from Georgia is mixed in there. But they've got some really good, talented guys that have committed, have a couple decisions coming down the pipeline. I mean, tomorrow, Friday, they'll have William Sanders making his decision. Saturday, Jamie French, who's a very, very elite type wide receiver, uh, is going to make his decision. I think Alabama's done a really good job with both of those. We'll have official predictions uh, coming up on the on the roundtable. But they um, actually we've got official prediction in for William Sanders, who I think Alabama will end up getting. And the thing about Sanders is like he's this guy. You know, everybody wants to freak out on June third, June eighth about somebody's rankings. I mean, Sanders was a three star, middling three star in early June. Seeing all his film comes out, he goes to camp dominates Alabama's camp, and now he's the number 111 player ranked player in the country by Charles Power. Not everybody's caught up, but Charles moves at a little bit different level um, with the with the rankings that he does at the pace he moves. So, But you saw the film. I know you're a fan. I mean, the big boys big found out there like he's a fullback. <laughs> you know, he's a little- I love pullers and hitters, man. That's, that's and that's what, what that dude does on his tape. That's what he does. That, yeah, that's what he does. Crab cakes and pulling guard. <laughs> that's what Bill Sanders does. So um, you got him. You got Jamie French. And again, this guy's, you know, the, the five stars aren't set, obviously. And the numbers don't always go to five stars this early. They extend to 32 later on. But this is a guy that if we said, hey, make the top 32 players a five star, he's going to be in that consideration. And you add in to, uh, you know, Ryan Williams in that class. They've got a running back, a speedster in that class. And I know we're we're caught up on 24, but, I mean, that would be another huge predict uh, pickup. Bama's done a good job there, I feel like, with Jamie French. And, um, you know, down the road, they still got Demarcus Riddick. He's committing July 26. That seems to be a heavy, heavy, close battle between Bama and Auburn. Um, 
And uh, you got, you know, Peyton Woodyard, uh, the state who's committed to Georgia, still supposed to make a final decision. Solomon Williams, a rush in from Florida, looking to make a decision. So a lot of these guys set a decision and made a commitment, and that's the decision date. And now we've got others that I think will start setting that date based on the availability of, you know, when, you know, when they can get when they're all together, when they can gather at the school and all that stuff. So a lot of stuff happening right now. Got to get those edits right too, man. Got to get those ready to drop, you know? Oh yeah. Don't forget there's a huge barbecue coming up. The, 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 I enjoyed the dead period. I think it ends the 25th next Tuesday and lasts through the, the week. I mean, you really gotta like, uh, you really gotta keep that NCAA calendar. They opened it up for a week. You know, it's like a, you know, it's like a flash sale. They're open up on like the 25th <laughs> through the 31st, and then all of August is dead. So you'll have a bunch of guys coming in. We've got Andrew Bone and, and Joseph Hastings. We've got a all we've got a running list of Alabama guys coming to that barbecue. And it's interesting because everybody's having a you know a barbecue or a, a champions big, cookout. Yeah, at we everybody's having it. So everybody's fighting to get these kids on campus to give them hot dogs. So it's going to be interesting to see who shows up. A lot of these decisions will make, be made at the last decision. But uh, that list, especially for underclassmen now, the 2025s where we've got George McIntyre, the big-time quarterback from Brentwood, Tennessee, is coming in. Um, uh, David Sanders, he's a big-time from Charlotte, big-time offensive lineman coming in, along with some of the commitments, Ryan Williams, uh, Zaki Helton, and um, – Dontrell Glover. So you've got to listen. This is still, you know, you know, a week away, um, ten days or so away before the uh, what is today? Nine days away. So there's going to be a lot of jockeying to get those guys on the campus. When it comes to recruiting, man, it's just the day that ends in Y, right? They all just kind of run together when it comes to recruiting. Uh, there's that's for sure. Hey, let's get into the mailbag, Tim. We got a bulging mailbag this week. At BamaOnline.com, I always appreciate the participation we get from our outstanding members there at BOL. We've got plenty of topics to hit on, and we'll start with Mid-South Bama here, who says uh, he was hoping in advance of Saban's comments on Wednesday in Nashville that Saban would talk about how the new and old, years-wise anyway, OC and DC are getting along and working Mid-South Bama thinks coordinators like that could grow off the other and their experience together will create a synergistic. Wow, I might have to look up that word, Tim. Synergistic effect for the team. Impressive, Mid-South. Maybe something else along those lines is, is, does CNS, Coach Nick Saban, obviously, consider it a relief of sorts to have Steele being his defensive coordinator. I think there's a there's certainly a familiarity there between those two over the years that they've worked together that um, has to has to be comforting, I would think, to, to Saban. Yeah, I think when you deal, I mean, again, you, when you look at the flip side, when it was when it was Pete Golding as defensive coordinator, you know, Saban was hands on. He was a I don't know what Pete would consider him, but he was the mentor, the boss, the old guy that knew more than him. So that's kind of the role Saban had to Pete. You don't really need it as much with Kevin Steele, right? You're, you're more peers. You're the same. It's like me and you talking versus you talking to my son or me talking to your son. We're only going to listen to so much crap they say, right, <laughs> before we tell them, hey, you know, we walked to school barefoot and 
in the snow. So I think, yeah, yeah, I think that's what you've got there is where you got two peers, very familiar working together. Um, even, you know, also have known each other a long time. And also I think you'll see saving a little bit hands on more now with Tommy Reese, where you had the opposite last year, you had O'Brien, who I don't think Saban had to really, you know, again, appear, you didn't really have to talk a whole lot. There wasn't a whole lot of teaching and that stuff. But I think with Tommy Reese, there's more of a, a peep early peep vibe where you're getting to know each other. You're explaining how you want it done. You're listening to his ideas that Tommy Reese is going to have. Cause you obviously brought him in knowing he was running, had a different mindset. So there's that. So yeah, I think it's a huge relief because you really don't want to have two young quarterback coordinators. In my opinion, if you're old coach, cause that's like, you know, having twins, you know, if you have, a, if you have a baby, you got twins, you got two, you got to deal with, Right now, I think he's got to work. You know, he gets to he gets that freedom with trusting Kevin Steele for sure. Yeah, I think you know Nick talked about it too. It's it's as much on the coordinators coming in to adjust to the roster and the existing coaching staff as it is for everyone else to adjust to the new coordinator. Whether it's terminology, whether it's verbiage, uh, from the playbook perspective, that resides more. Uh, especially with a guy like Tommy Reese, conceptually, the offenses are very similar, but what a play might be called at Notre Dame, it isn't exactly the same at Alabama. So that's where Reese has to adjust more so than the players. So a lot to consider there, but the early returns seem to be quite positive. Defensive analyst 37 here in the mailbag, Tim, says the last two seasons, Saban has talked about players playing with anxiety. Do y'all think the current coaching staff, specifically the coordinators, will help the guys play with more confidence? Seems like our guys were thinking a lot or playing slightly unsure for a split second, which is basically an eternity when you're playing the teams we do. And I, for me, anyway, it goes back to, and again, I don't want to say simplify, um, but maybe more so with an emphasis on defense. Uh, it, it could have been even last year that it was a, a unit that maybe tried to do too much. You know, uh, there was so much talk about how Will Anderson was going to be utilized all the different ways uh, that they tried to spread him around. Uh, you had different packages coming into play like the cheetah package, and that created a lot of expectations from a pass rush standpoint. Um, not again, not to say minimalistic when talking about what you're going to try to do on offense or defense, but certainly having that go-to right that, that your players can sort of know is in place and provide them with a sense of ease that, as we talked about just a minute or so ago, allows them to, to just play more instead of think as much. Yeah, I just don't think, you know, when it especially comes to the wide receivers working with Bryce, I think that, you know, when you use those words, calm. Calm was was Robert Mechie, you know. He was the guy that was calm, working back the field. Oh, they threw an interception. Let me get the ball back. He was a very calming influence for Bryce. And, you know, guys who didn't think that just acted was Jamison Williams. I mean, this guy ran, got open, and just took off to the house. I don't think he put a little – a whole lot of thought in how fast he's going to run. I think he just let his natural ability take over. So I do think there was big shoes to fill um, at a lot. I don't know. I think, you know, anxiety is a tricky word for me because I just feel like, I just feel like anxiety is just your normal daily stuff. You know what I mean? I had a package mm-hmm. to Hank South was an hour and a half late last night. I had anxiety 
that it was lost. I mean, I think anxiety is kind of normal for an athlete in a big situation. I just think that, that yeah, playing through it, I think, is more the issue. I mean, there's guys like Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Joe Burrow's a football guy I don't think really suffers. I think he just, you know, loose. Some guys are just, you know, Pat Mahomes. I watched that quarterback special. He definitely had anxiety during the game. So I think it's more about playing with anxiety than having anxiety. I mean, I don't know how you can play in front of a 85 screaming people who hate your guts, you know what I mean, at Texas A&M or at Auburn, and not, you know, not feel it a little bit. So, um, yeah, I think that the uh, the Kevin Steele from the defensive side would do, will, will help. But I do think – I agree, don't say minimize it, but I would say slow it down a little bit. Make it easy. Yeah. I mean, don't be so tricky because, you know, 2020, you know, that, that was the year you could run anything with Smitty, you know, with, with Najee, with the offensive line, with Matt, you could run any play. You could have ran any fumble ruski, anything with that team because they were experienced, they were older, they were super talented. Um, you could do that. Last year's team really didn't have that same thing. So, yeah, I believe that, yeah, just going with the basics, you've got talent, you should have more talent than most people when you're, you know, when you match up against them. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. Don't go boring, but make it easy. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think you hear another coach talk as much about being where your feet are than Nick Saban. Don't burden yourself with the additional pressure of thinking about the big picture going into a particular game, right? Like if you're on the road uh, at a place like Texas A&M in early October, you don't want to go into that game thinking, oh, man. You know, what happens if we don't win this game or we need to win this game to get to our ultimate end point? Uh, Those are the things that Nick Saban and other coaches I know uh, work against on a a continuous basis. And I think there's good anxiety. I think that was your point. There's a pressure that you want to feel as a competitor going into games. Uh, But again, you also don't want to put it on yourself to think about it in the big picture scenario of what if what happens win or lose if we win this game we're going to win the national championship well no if we lose this game we're not going to win the national you know that that that, that's more of the mindset i think we're talking about here yeah i think you want to be more of the you're not worried if i miss it you know i think that's right thing is that you know i mean jordan summed it up i mean i forget the number but jordan missed a hell of a lot of game-winning shots you know and he summed it up, and he missed a lot more than he made, it looked like. So I don't think you can be worried whether you're going to make You know, it's, it is easy to say it, but that's the one thing that's always factored in for me with the field goal kicker. I mean, he's on an island. I mean, you can call it what you want to, but dude is standing out there, got too much time to think. He's barely in the huddle. He's back there. I think with natural athletes, I don't think that happens as much, but – I mean, you can't really be worried about missing because you, I mean, of course, it's super easy for me and you to sit here and say it, but they are going to miss shots. I mean, there's no doubt you're going to miss it. You're going to miss passes. You're going to miss the putt. So I think that's the that psychological part of figuring out how to handle it when you do. Nick's nephew here in the roundtable mailbag at BamaOnline.com says, listening to you guys talk about Caleb Odom, of course, uh, the recent four-star tight end pickup for Alabama for the 2024 cycle. It sounds like he has the potential to be a real receiving threat at tight end. Is there a tight end 
on the roster currently that has the potential to be a big receiving threat this season, like maybe a uh, Brock Bowers at Georgia? No. Bowers <laughs> is like that's I mean, that unicorn dude. Yeah. yeah. And it's the, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, it's just he's a different breed, and I'm not even sure. And I know that college-wise, he's about everything you want because of you know he's not a you know he's not the biggest tight end, but he's he's fast. He's not the fastest tight end. He's thick. He'll block. He'll pass. He does all that. I don't think anybody in the country anywhere has Brock Bowers' potential. But that doesn't mean there's not good you know good guys on the team. And also, Alabama really has never utilized the tight end like that. I know everybody goes back to the the Irv Smith year, but I mean, Irv Smith was, had a big year and I mean, he's talented. He went high in the draft and all that, but he also had a big year cause he was friggin' open. You had to cover everybody three first, <laughs> three yeah. in the backfield, you know, alone was in the backfield, you know, Jacobs, uh, who was in that backfield? Jacobs. Damian yeah. I yeah mean, Damian backfield alone. You had three monsters mm-hmm. you had to cover. And then you add in, I mean, you know, the right outs and wide receivers. So, Irv, not to take anything away from Irv, but he was probably the last option when you scheme for him. Alabama's never used a tight end like Georgia uses their tight ends, not just Brock Bowers. They're a very heavy tight end system. It's why they recruit two to three each year, and they don't have a lot of success at wide receiver. Jermaine Burton won a national championship, one of their best, left for Alabama. A.D. Mitchell, one of their best, left for Texas, because the wide receivers don't get the ball. Now, if Alabama did that, I think the fan base would be irritated. They're not getting big-time wide receivers. But for Georgia, that tight end is their big-time wide receiver. That's kind of how they're using it and all that stuff. But I do think Najee Black – I'm sorry, Nye Black has a chance to be a good um, receiver yeah. guy. I don't rule out Ooch to sneak in a few big plays. But, I mean, obviously, C.J., he's the guy. I mean, again, I'm not going to call him Travis Kelsey. That's so lazy. But he's got some athleticism. It's got that same build. I mean, it's not Travis Kelsey, but he kind of looks like him when you look at him in his football uniform. Obviously, Kelsey's elite Hall of Famer, but I do think C.J. has that potential to to stretch him out a little bit. Yeah, I think C.J. Dupree can be a 40 reception guy during the upcoming season, and I think you also touched on it. In terms of how Oda maybe matches up with an existing guy on the roster, Amari Nyblack would be my choice as well. Uh, kind of a guy that you can do the different things with, like you see on Odom's tape at Carrollton. And like I said before, and like we talked about on the breaking pod for Odom, I mean, this is a guy who they line up at Carrollton at the X, not in the in the slot or not flexed out. I mean, he is a legit wide receiver uh, at the high school level. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how he's incorporated into things offensively at Alabama. You know who Odom reminds me of? It's an old school, but you remember Patrick Turner, Tennessee? Yes, the big wide receiver from Nashville that went to USC, right? Yeah, I think Caleb's faster than uh, Patrick was, and Patrick was kind of caught between that big receiver and tight end. Yeah, he was. I think he actually got drafted as a tight end, maybe played. I know he was in the NFL at some point to some degree, but it kind of reminds me of him, just a bigger, uh, not bigger, but more athletic and faster version of Patrick who has that ability. I mean, the thing is, like, the tight end position is no longer – it's no longer just defined. You know what I mean? You know this. It's not defined. you got inline guys. you got, you know, Odom's obviously a guy you can flex, put all over. Off the ball, yeah. So you got just different kind of – different kind of uh, uh, tight ends. Yeah, all about matchups. And you can get them, certainly, with guys like Bowers 
and those guys that have that kind of skill set. Major Wood 482 here in the roundtable mailbag asks, do you guys think that we will have the quarterback competition narrowed down to two guys by the opener? In my opinion, that's got to be best case. No way we still want to have three guys competing for the job come Texas week. Uh, Major Wood says he has Alabama losing a close one to Texas. Just don't see us finding our quarterback until one of them gets us behind against Texas. To add, I also have us figuring it out and not losing another game and playing in Atlanta. Hopefully I am wrong and it doesn't take one of them to fail to find the better guy. I don't care who gets the job. I just want them to take it instead of it being handed to them. It sounds like Major Wood is envisioning an Ole Miss in 2015-like scenario for that Texas game, Tim, when the Rebels beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, but Jake Coker took the job by the throat in that game, and Alabama rolled from there. Yeah, I think it'll be narrowed down to two. I don't think you're going into a game with three guys, right? I mean, you've had a long look at Jalen. You've had, you know, a semi-long look at Ty, and now you're getting your look at Tyler. I mean, I think you have to you have to figure it out and narrow it down to two. I can't imagine. I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback start replaced by a backup and then the backup replaced by a backup, the third team. Have you ever? I don't think I've ever seen that. No, that's tough. And, and just from a preparation standpoint, you, you yeah, can't you get, get it get done. You can't get three guys ready in, yeah. in a game week. Yeah, you're only going to get so many snaps. So that's another, that's another good point. So the answer is, yeah, I think we will. I don't have a great prediction for the quarterback who it'll be. I mean, I have, you know, I don't, I, I still lean that, that Buckner's got a little, you know, a little bit of an advantage because of his familiarity with Tommy Reese. And I understand when I said that earlier on the round table that people were saying, but it's a different system. It is, but Tommy Reese is the offense coordinator. He's going to have some input on his quarterback. Also, again, go back to Jalen's explosive, you know, a, you know, an elite athlete at every level. And I still come back to Ty over and over again as almost the, the, the package between Jalen, not as good a runner as Jalen, but a good runner and a better passer than Buckner. So I kind of find Ty in the middle. I still lean to Jalen, but only because, you know, it seems like Saban's always been, went with seniority in the close ones. Mm-hmm. I think there's a history of that. He trusts them more. Um, but I don't, I don't have a strong prediction. I still think at some point Ty takes that job and runs with it. Yeah, you had uh, Jordan Rogers and Greg McElroy at SEC Media Days put in predictions for Ty Simpson as the Alabama starter in 2023. So, interesting comments. And my prediction's probably wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Tider 04 here in the mailbag. Something I've been wondering about when we lost Cochran, Scott Cochran, uh, moved on to Georgia to an on-the-field role as an assistant coach from Alabama. I do think the art science of strength and conditioning had passed him by, so a change was in order. But Scott Cochran brought a level of intensity, swagger to our team that has been somewhat missing since his departure. Our current strength coach, David Ballou, seems very knowledgeable and cutting edge in the science, but more low-key personality-wise. So do we have anyone on the staff that can be that dude, Tim, that we seem to be missing? The dude that... Keeps our guys loose, confident, focused, and fired up. What about it, Tim? They've got guys. You see them on the sideline. They've got former players, uh, Denzel DeBall, Josh Chapman, guys that probably 
factor into that role a little bit. Uh, Jake Long's a young guy. He came back from Oregon. He's kind of a fired up version of that. I mean, Cochran is such a long figure for what he did. Like I've never seen a strength and conditioning. I mean, he, you know, he, he had his own coin phrase. He, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, my kids know Scott Cochran's face and his, yeah, his, his phrase and at the game they played it. Um, all that stuff. So I don't think you can replicate what Scott Cochran did. Also, you saw a lot of people trying to imitate it, and I haven't really heard on and caught on. But also, that, there's a wear and tear being that intense all the time, obviously. You know, and it's, I think he uh, tweeted out recently he was sober. Was that two years sober? That yeah. Yeah. So yes, he is. That's off to him, man. That's amazing. Congrats. Absolutely. Yeah, huge, huge deal. I was really happy to see that. And, you know I, know, I know how close him and Kirby Smart were, and Scott was great at Alabama for Alabama, so we wish him the best. But I don't think you can really keep that intensity up. Um, I think you can during the game, but Scott was different. I mean, he was like his, like, even his practice. Remember the video got loose when he said, why is Georgia wearing black? Because they're going to a effing funeral. I mean, yeah. that, had, that was the last time we got to go into practice while was, Alabama was in stretch mode. Scott got it closed down. Scott he closed that down. Yeah. Yeah, But he said, we're playing Georgia that year. You know why Georgia's wearing black? We're going to an effing funeral. So that's <laughs> the kind of intensity. And I would imagine that was, you know, and I, you know, I knew some of the coaches that were friends with him. That's kind of intensity. He was nonstop, but I do think you can get, you know, you have those guys, again, going back to that emotional rush you get from playing, they'll have those guys on the field. But I don't think you can really duplicate what Scott Cochran did. Obviously, you know, it, it took a little bit of a bearing on him, too, I think. So. Yeah, you can't you can't try to manufacture that. And you know why? Because players will – they'll smell that out quick. And you'll, yeah, you'll yeah, lose yeah. them to that guy. You either, like you said, you either can bring that or you have that or you don't. If you try to – if you try to manufacture it, players, their BS radars go off quick yeah. and, and you're, awesome. you're clued out. And every player doesn't want to be ready to run through a wall when he hits no. either. Some of them are in there listening to, you know, slow jazz. Not everybody. Some of them find that, you know, that's the funny thing. It's what I love, love about sports documentaries. And I know we're going to talk about this later in the show, but the quarterback documentary, I love every documentary to see. I mean, some guys are listening to, you know, ACDC or the hardest metal or the hardest gangster rap. Some guys are listening to slow jazz or Barry Manilow, just trying to find their center. I think it just comes down to that person. So, you know, not everybody wants to be sprinting through a wall, but Bama has guys to motivate them. And also Saban's always tried to, with the exception of Cochran, Saban's always preached calmness. You know, they come out of the tunnel. They're pretty chill coming out of that tunnel. You know what I mean? They never, you know, nobody's ever holding Coach Saban back by his collar. Like, you know, was that USC that your Alabama beat the brakes off of them when they were all holding each other by the collar? Yeah. Pre-game. Yeah, were, that was uh, Ronnie Harrison, yeah. I think, got a little heated there. That was the highlight for USC of that game was getting held by the collar coming out. By the oh, way. yeah, yeah. USC coming out of the tunnel. Yeah. yeah. Remember they were holding by the neck. And oh, yeah. Hold us back. I think they yeah. literally, like, hold me back. I don't want to go out there. That's <laughs> Bama Hudson here in the mailbag. In the spirit of the SEC Media Day signifying the return of football, what are you guys most looking forward to about this upcoming season? What is your favorite game day experience as members of the media and longtime fans? Thanks, fellas. Thank you, Bama Hudson. Um, yeah, I think we talked about it earlier, for me anyway, those first couple of weekends. Just 
the start of college football. I'm even looking forward to zero week because I got uh, Hawaii football traveling to Vanderbilt on August 26th. So I'll be in the house for that one. Um, but September 2nd, September 9th, man, we ran down some of those uh, games in week one and week two. I'm, I'm jacked about those, Tim. Yeah, I am too. I mean, I've never covered a game from the media standpoint. Emma Hudson asked about, I like to go, if I go to a game, first of all, I like being at my house because I'm, I'm not big into having to wait for a bathroom break. I like to pause the game. I've always been kind of a homebody, but when I go, I take the family. Um, and it's always good. I mean, it's good. We, we've tailgated and sat out there before a game and watched the game. You know, the best game I've ever been to, I'll never, I don't think it's ever toppable, is uh, I was at the Petway backdoor layup to win the SEC championship. Oh, wow, against Florida. Yeah, yeah lady behind me with her husband kissed me. And uh, <laughs> he just went like, I thought he was going to kiss me. I was going to kiss him back. I mean, it was wild. <laughs> it was a wildest moment the way it happened. And we were sitting behind the basket off to the left where Petway cut. I saw him cut, and I was thinking he's open, but I, I, I thought the shot was going up. But that was the best game day experience I've been in. I've been at, you know, other places, Saints, Braves, all that stuff. Great things happen. But to see a game winner for the SEC for Alabama, um, I'm not sure you're going to be able to top that. And I was at all those early SEC games with Clemson and Virginia Tech. I love going to Atlanta. Love going um, – to those events. You know what was great was last year's bowl game. That was, yeah. those fans, it was poured into, you know, the, you know, we like New Orleans. Last time the family went, we poured in their Kansas State fans. They felt really, really good, got up early, really gracious fan base. I mean, after the game, you know, I'm not head to toe tricked out in gear, but the kids were, and the, I mean, the, the fans were talking to the kids, talking to Heather, commenting on the, on how the game went. So that's been my best experience. Yeah, you know, as a media type, um, it, it's hard to beat a lot of the, the road trips in the SEC and really beyond. I thought Texas even last season. For that to have been an 11 a.m. kickoff, that crowd from the moment I showed up in the, the area of uh, the, the stadium there in Austin, it was nuts, man. The students for Texas were lined up as far as I could see trying to you know, secure seats for that Alabama, Texas game. So that was a cool one, but you know, any opportunity, like you said, that I've gotten to share with family, especially I go back to 2014, Alabama, LSU and Baton Rouge, because I got to meet up with our son, Evan. Uh, mm -hmm. He had never been to death Valley uh, at night or any time. Uh -huh. And so Alabama won that game in OT as I'm sure uh, you probably recall with Blake Sims at quarterback and, um, the heroics there late. Uh, that was nuts. Uh, that was a great one. 2014 LSU for me, because again, got to share it with a, uh, a loved one and a family member. So that always, I think takes it up a notch or two. Hey, um, you know what else we were going to talk about today too, was, you know, we see these coaches every year at sec media days, Eli Drinkwitz most recently, they show up in these tricked out, um, sneakers, uh, whether they're Dan Mullen, you know, Dan Mullen at Mississippi state, he had the Yeezys. Um, and then he showed up, uh, at Florida because you know, then he's with Nike and the Jordan brand. And now we got Drinkwitz and the tricked out sneaks, kicks, Lane Kiffin, a proponent, you know, is, is there an age limit, Tim, when we, we maybe should transition, uh, away from it, is it become kind of, I don't know, weird. 
I don't know. What do you think? No, but I will say I have a couple thoughts. One, Dan Mullingall with Yeezys is <laughs> considered where uh, my boy Kanye is, is a pretty interesting choice considering how Dan left Florida. I think with any, I think a young person can go to church dressed up wearing tennis shoes. I think you, I don't think a grown man can. I'm going to wear tennis shoes, probably be buried in them. But also I'm a cargo short t-shirt hoodie guy. It looks right. I don't ever dress up and wear tennis shoes. If I'm dressed up on the rare occasion, Miss Watts makes me dress up or I have a speech, <laughs> I am wearing dress shoes. If you know, it almost all the time because of that. Um, so no, I don't think that, I don't know. I don't know if it's a comfort factor with them. Um, you know, I, I, I would tend to, you know, if you're dressed up, wear dress shoes. And you know, the thing about it, it's not hard because they have these awesome dress shoes that are tennis shoes, right? Yeah. You can look dressy and still be in tennis shoes. I don't know if it's an attempt to stay young. That's it what Skechers, be- Skechers, right? Is there a Skechers age, I guess is what I'm asking. When you go from the Nike Dunks or the Air Force Ones to uh, Skechers. Um, I don't think I'm ever going. I mean, if I'm going to Skechers, <laughs> I'm held hostage in somebody's basement. I'm doing. It I, for- you go New Balance before you go Skechers. Yeah, I think. You know, you know the old. Yeah, you go the old school. I think you can wear. I mean, yeah, no, I don't think you ever go to that. Especially. Okay. You, All right. Yeah, you don't think Checking. you ever go to that. No, no, no. I mean the no hell no. You never go there. You know, Skechers slip ons. Yes. Yeah, just slip them on. Personally, Tony I- Romo. Tony Romo's about him. You see the commercials with Tony? Yeah, he's trying to get paid, though. He don't know where he's he getting paid. Yeah, he's getting yeah, paid. He takes those off after the commercial. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, no, I don't think you ever have to go to the walk-in shoes. It's almost like wearing the the nurse comfortable shoes when you're not a nurse. You know what I mean? You don't really want to. I'm a Brooks them. guy now, though. I will admit that. I like the Brooks running shoes, you know, for kind of casual wear. The ghosts. Yep. 14s. But I'll tell you what, running shoes really are a different breed. My wife likes, uh, and I made fun of her like, like, like the jackass I can be at times. She wears these on cloud shoes. Do you, are you uh-uh. familiar with those? Uh-uh. Oh, man. I wasn't either. So I'm making fun of them. And then she asked me to buy a pair, and they're like $180. And oh, yeah. they are popular. I've never noticed them. They literally look like we'd get mad at our mom for buying them. For us, the first day of middle school, it looks like a complete <laughs> off-brand, but it's not an off-brand. It is very much on-brand. We used to call them hot boxers, the off-brands, when we were kids a hundred years ago. We called those. If you weren't in Nike, Adidas, or something of that ilk, they were hot boxers, right? Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, and you can tell I'm so old because when I see something that's not Nike, Adidas, I instantly go to cheap. I go back to middle school making fun of people, but. Yeah, those shoes. So running shoes are an acquired taste, and they can look. Um, I bought my second or first son running shoes. I can't think. It's like a Swedish company off-brand, and they were the best shoes they ever had for, like, distance running and all that stuff. So you get a pass for running shoes. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know. I think that the uh, – Well, I don't, I don't see myself ever going to just straight-up mall walkers, you know, those white uh, New Balances, just straight white mall walkers. I, I'll, I, I'll be a running shoe guy. You know, from here on out, probably. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge dunk guy. I mean, it's hard to match it up with anything. But I really, you know, I'm kind of a realistic guy. I don't want to have shoes that I don't, I don't want to. If I'm wearing them and have to worry about them getting scuffed, then I'm wearing the wrong shoes. You know what I mean? I don't want to be like, oh, man, you stepped on my white shoes. 
I don't want to be that guy. I knew when I had white shoes, and I did at times, uh, that they were going to get scuffed. I would have to clean them. So uh, it's, it's always interesting to see the style and the attire at the SEC media days, though. Let's get back into the mailbag. And let's uh, let's look here. Who do we got? We've got uh, we've got some basketball talk in the mailbag. Early returns and whispers in Alabama hoops practices this summer. Who are we most forward to seeing play this upcoming season for Nate Oates' team? This is from Basketball Only Gump in the mailbag. Uh, it is that time of year. Uh, you know, when you're you're trying to build teams. I know Kentucky, most recently, uh, we saw do the, the summer tour uh, thing. But, you know, the thing I think about, too, Tim, when, when I consider upcoming teams, I kind of go back to last season. Not that Noah Clowney wasn't expected to be a factor for that team, but to be the player he ultimately was, I didn't anticipate that at this time a year ago. So I kind of think about it in those terms when considering the next team, you know, right? I mean, we obviously expect Grant Nelson coming in as a transfer to be huge. Uh, Aaron Estrada, uh, Latrell Wrightsell, guys like that from the transfer portal. It, it's almost to the point, though, where we just totally overlook the high school guys coming in, guys like Sam Walters and uh, the potential for them to do uh, significant things in year one in the program. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I think the low-hanging fruit is to say Grant Nelson. And don't get me wrong, I'm extremely excited to see him and all the transfers. But the one I think I'm the most excited to see is Rylan Griffin. I really want to see how that role's opened up for him. You know, JQ's gone, you know, tra- transferred to Memphis. You have Brandon's gone, and you have Noah's gone. So you've got a bigger role for Rylan to step in. And I was a huge fan, as you remember, coming out of high school and he showed some things last year at times. He didn't really get consistent with his shot. But I do think that freshman, you know, that freshman being a freshman and not being, you go from the main guy on your, you know, probably on your AAU team and your high school team. Then you get there and you're the fourth, fifth, sixth option. So I do think he has a chance to step up. I think he's extremely talented. And um, he's the one I'm probably watching out for the most. Going to wrap up the mailbag this week with, a statement slash question here in regards to Alabama as a football team flying under the radar. That's a really unfamiliar position for Nick Saban's team goes to Bryant in the mailbag. Is it just me or does it seem like nationally everyone is overlooking Alabama? I can't remember a time since 2008 when so many people are picking Alabama to take a step backwards. It's still the most talented team in America Every year, I think Georgia and Ohio State have certainly reached that point in terms of talent of being right there with the Crimson Tide. But I I agree in terms of just how the program is perceived um, as as the program in college football that shifted more towards Georgia probably the last couple of years. But uh, what do you think, Tim, as far as the under radar, under the radar look at this team? I'm going to go with no. I think that's mentally something that happens to us because I see like the Georgia fan base just this last week, they're pissed because nobody's talking about them being back-to-back national champions. And I thought, who, who the hell is not talking about them? I think everybody I talked to has mentioned Georgia. You know, it's a really good run the last two, three, really the run since Kirby's last four or five years there. I think it's a mindset. People are certainly talking about Georgia. Bama's, 
I mean, they're one of the favorites to win the national championship. I think most people have them predicted to win the West. The quarterback competition's being talked about. The quarterbacks are being talked talked about. You know, the head coach is going to, you know, following me, chasing me, stalking me down in Italy. There's a lot of discussion about Alabama, although it doesn't, maybe it doesn't feel like it. I don't feel like a lot of people are sleeping. I think when you when you when I talk to other people outside of the Alabama circle, the fan base and the the media, I think other people respect Alabama and really think Alabama has a chance to be good this year. They have the same questions we do with quarterback, but I don't feel like Alabama's really being overlooked nationally. Maybe maybe the fan base is a little more down, or maybe it's the fact that, you know, a lot of people are talking about Auburn. You know what I mean? That hasn't that hasn't really happened unless it was bad news. So I think I think Alabama's fine. I think I think they remain right at the very top of of importance when it comes to SEC football. And again, you mentioned Georgia, Ohio State talent, and, you know, and uh, you know you see them in the college football playoffs and they're in the Heisman Trophy presentations, all that stuff. But Alabama's right there at the very top. Yeah, I don't. I, I think there's degrees to this thing. I think at the end of the day, going into this season, you're still going to see Alabama picked among the top three teams in the preseason for the 2023 season. Uh, I do think, though, as far as perception goes, vulnerability is a word that comes to mind for Alabama going into the season because you are losing a quarterback like Bryce Young, and you do have several pieces to replace on the defensive side of the ball. And you do have what looks to be a formidable early season test against Texas. And I think that's when the perception will be cemented. Either way, if Alabama takes care of business, especially in impressive fashion against Texas on September the 9th, well, it'll go right back to this is a team that very easily could win a national championship. If Alabama even struggles to win or loses that game, even with the lessons that should have been taught from Ole Miss 2015, Tim, I think you'll see a semi-flood of, well, this is the turning point for Alabama football under Nick Saban, and it's not one in which there's going to be this reascent to the top of college. You know what I mean? There's going to be overreaction, I guess is what I'm saying either way. There always is. I mean, it's, it's it doesn't take much for a team to win their opening game some kind of some kind of special all, you know, the, you know, the um, Chick-fil-A bowl or whatever they would call it, opening game to win it and have a complete overreaction. Because to be honest, you don't even know who you're beating half the time. You know, you don't know. You've seen, uh, what, what was the year? Didn't Miami beat LSU one year and everybody had Miami going flying through the roof and then Miami did not have a very successful year? When was that? Miami over LSU. Am I misremembering that game or was it LSU over Miami? I feel like LSU lost to Miami one year in the opener because I had no power here and we had to hot spot it. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, going to be an overreaction. I think it was it was LSU over Miami. Um, looks like it was thirty three oh, seventeen you know LSU. Miami was ranked in the top ten in that game. Um, I think that was two thousand eighteen. That was Joe Burrow's first year as the starter at LSU yeah you're on it for losses there's anyway the point they will be an overreaction I agree with you for the winner and for the loser I mean if Texas beats Alabama it doesn't make them a national championship contender and if Alabama beats Texas 
you know, the, I would say the same thing. I, the season's a long season. Every game's an independent, like, little season. You saw that with with the swings back and forth with LSU. Alabama's season last year as a whole, and they commented. I saw Josh Pate comment on that, talk about that with Nick Saban, about how there were so many close games. But every game seemed like a little mini season to me. You had mm-hmm. so much happening between each quarter. You had, you know, the Alabama-LSU game alone was when you had uh, – you know the defense couldn't stop. You know the you know the offense couldn't score. Then the defense couldn't stop any anybody. I think we saw a lot of that last year. But yeah, I do agree. Not to digress, but the first game is going to be a lot of overreaction. We see that a lot with Michigan's back, or you know you know Miami's back. We're going to see a lot of that uh, one way or the other. But for Texas, if they win, it's definitely going to be you know it's definitely going to be blown up more so than if Alabama wins. That's going to do it for the Roundtable Mailbag. Once again, we thank everyone who contributed, took the time to help us out with some comments and questions there in the mailbag. Uh, Tim, as we head out here, uh, we we get into streams. You know, we get into uh, th- those platforms. We like the shows. We like the movies. So uh, what do you got for us? What do you got a recommender to as we, we head out of the podcast this week? I know you've seen them both, the Righteous Gemstones. I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, first of all, it was a great show, but I don't know how they've ramped it up this year. But it just seems like every episode is, you know, every episode's been amazing so far. The cast is great. I mean, the it's hilarious. The storylines are hilarious, you know, great. You know, Judy, you know, and her husband, you know, BJ. BJ. There's just, you know, man. He's got that stud in that left ear. I tell you one thing, I guess I hadn't really paid attention or noticed, but going into this episode, I had a friend that was finally watching and he said, there sure is a lot of full frontal men's nudity. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't really think about it. And then this week I'm like, oh shoot, he is right. Oh, it's, uh, it's extra. A, yeah. There's it's a, extra. Oy. Of course, the quarterback series, which I would recommend. You guys love football. You yeah. need, you need a little, you know, an eight hour get in, you know, Get hyped into the season. The uh, quarterback show on Netflix has got Pat Mahomes, and it was great. The, the The casting couldn't have been better. They had Pat Mahomes, who ended up winning the Super Bowl, which was great. They had Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota. Well, Cousins had a great season, kind of unexpected, as good as it was. And Marcus Mariota left the team in the middle of the in the middle of the season when he was replaced towards the end of the season. So the the dynamics were there. If you want to see behind the scenes stuff, I mean, it's you know, you get a good look at that. Kirk Cousins might be the biggest nerd in the history of mankind. Would you not agree? He is uh, he's, he's Captain America. He is he's Roger Stallback without the Super Bowl titles is who Kirk Cousins is. Yeah, he was. Yes, he was. Uh, he might be the biggest nerd. I mean, he's right up there with. The, yeah. uh, with that, I even love that he's got like a trophy room although he called it a memory room you know the old i'm humble i'm letting you know i'm humble but he he had a great trophy room is what it is and uh he had it hidden like batman's lair he had to you had to like pull down a book in a bookcase to get to it where he kept all of his trophy stuff so um i thought it was pretty awesome he got to know kirk cousins really well and his family and you know mahomes was a great look at what all he goes through i thought it was great because you see how great he is and what all he goes through to be great. It's not just a, I'm going to get out here and throw the football around. Yeah. And it also is a 
Peyton Manning production, I guess, right? He's behind it, and it's already been renewed, I guess, for another year on Netflix. And it also tells you Peyton's place in the sport in general. To have that kind of access, Tim, yeah. uh, that the show had, and to to get uh, that type of uh, coverage that they were able to get that, that that's something Peyton Manning can can work if it, it there's probably been a lot of people that have wanted to do something like that but it doesn't have the the stamp of approval of, of an individual like Peyton Manning right now and so uh, uh, I'm guessing that had a lot it, it is it's very fascinating as you said uh, to watch those various situations play out the access was really detailed you know what I mean yeah that was the part I think that was the biggest deal is how much access they had. I mean, they were in the locker room before or after. They were talking to Marietta when he left. After The he, NFL doesn't just give that to anybody, no, right? Heck no. You know, the only thing that could have made it better, I really – and you couldn't have known this. They did a good job with the three they picked because you never know what you're going to get out of that. You had Marietta with the new team. You had Cousins, and then you had, you know, Mahomes, who's the best quarterback in the NFL. But if they'd had Jalen Hurts in there, that would have been fantastic with their Super Bowl run. And his kind of like rise up, that would have been good, the behind the scenes. Because we got a little yeah. bit just in the Super Bowl where you caught, you know, I love the Mahomes. What I liked the best on it was the Mahomes interaction on the field. You know what I mean? Where Max Crosby. Talking trash with Max Crosby, yeah. Like, hey, now, man, I'll take a lot of stuff, but you're not hitting me in the back of the head. It was just, <laughs> it was the discussions they have. And then Max Crosby looking at the thing. He said, dude, my bad, I was going for the ball. I mean, it was a. It was really to see all the talk. It was really, uh, it was really interesting to see him. You obviously get to know him a lot better. So if you guys need to fill that void before football practice, now is a good time. You're gonna have hard knocks with the New York Jets, man, coming up. Little Aaron Rodgers, little Q Williams, little C.J. Mosley. That's gonna be a show. That's gonna be a show. Curious to see. I'll, I mean, watch Jets. that one. Yeah. Well, the Jets are trying to make uh, Green Bay, you know, Green Bay Packers too to some degree. Um, but they uh, they traded another uh, they traded another uh, wide receiver yesterday. So very interesting. Yeah, them show made me a Lions fan after last year, as we talked about. So uh, we'll see how that goes this time around. Uh, I'm with you too. Righteous Gemstones, the latest episode of that show on HBO Max or Max as it's known now. The fight scene between BJ and Steve <laughs> is unlike anything you'll ever see uh, on on a on a program. So uh, just be forewarned on that. It's uh, amazing show though. It, it, I'm with you. Season three of the Gemstones. I was worried coming out of two. I didn't think season two was bad, but it wasn't season one either so i'm thinking man they gonna be able to ramp this thing back up and it it hasn't disappointed at all uh in season three they absolutely has baby billy is back to a an elite level with the ai work bringing judy lee i get i won't want to spoil anything here before i talk too much but tim it's, it's you guys that need a comedy Without the kids around, this is the one. Without not kids around. Without, without anybody around. Some of y'all's wife might be like, nah, man. My wife loves it. She dies laughing. She loves the originality. I think it's... Uh, well, growing up in the South is so relatable in a lot of ways, you know? It's also so over the top. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, yeah. You know, you, got the, you know, you got the Kenny Powers dude. Yeah. 
his name, but he's uh, he's cussing so over the top, you actually forget he's cussing. Yeah, you know? I mean it's uh, it's pretty pretty amazing in my opinion. Okay. Hey, uh, Tim, we'll get on out of here. We've hung around for a while. It's been a lot of fun, man. We did on a lot of stuff. Do it next week. Absolutely. And hey, you want to stay tuned to BamaOnline.com because recruiting never sleeps, as we know. And we've got plenty of team coverage as we get ready for the start of 2023 fall camp at the University of Alabama. Tim, I suspect we might be joining each other in the not-too-distant future where that aforementioned recruiting talk is concerned. I know you miss me, so we'll see if we can drum up a minute or two. Just going to keep the headset on, you know. Just roll around with it, and we'll we'll do what we need to do when we need to do it. We'll get Nextels or walkie-talkies. Yeah. Oh, man, those were the days, weren't they? Those Nextel phones? It's not the days. I had a Pe- Nextel, and my wife kind of, we met where I was when I was working, and she could Nextel me all the time. Like, oh, yeah. You don't even have to answer Nextel. They're just coming in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They ain't gotta, you ain't got to, like, click the button. There's like, hello. No. Yeah. Beep, beep. Yeah. And you're on. Getting hit up all the time. All right. We'll catch you guys next week and see you on the roundtable. Yeah, maybe some more Nextel talk next week. But for now, Tim Watts, always a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, we hope you'll do so. Wherever you consume pods, you're going to find us. And if you'd leave us a rating and a review, that would be greatly appreciated as well for tim watts travis schreier thanks again hang out with us at bamaonline.com and until next time so long everybody hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.